You're listening to a Corridor Business Journal podcast. This is Tom Selig. I'm a senior vice president of a bank. I used to be a lawyer. I like to make connections, and sometimes amazing things happen. That's what this podcast is about, when the magic happens. Well, today my new best friend is Lisa Bluter, who is the uh, head coach of the Iowa Women's basketball team. We're going to learn a lot about the current team and what they're doing. We'll be talking about the new thing called Name, Image, and Likeness and hear her philosophy of how she's built this into one of the greatest programs in the country. John Wooden said that women's basketball was played the way the game was supposed to be played, uh, with passing and cutting and really good ex- execution. And so I think it is the purest form of basketball. So stick around. We'll be right back. This episode of Tom's New Best Friend is brought to you by West Bank, a community bank since 1893, nationally recognized by Raymond James as a top-performing community bank, prioritizing community, responsive to local needs. West Bank, member FDIC. Well, great. Today, I've got Lisa Bluter here with me, uh, the coach of the Iowa women's basketball team. She's my my new best friend, getting to know her some, and excited that she's here to talk about who she is, her career, and uh, about the Iowa Hawkeyes. So, Lisa, thanks for coming. Thanks, Tom. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Well, let's start at the beginning. I thought you were an Iowa person, but then I read in the bio that you were born in Wisconsin. So what's what's the background? How did you get I to know. Iowa? I do like cheese, but it's uh, just for five <laughs> years. Just for five years. We moved to Iowa when I was five. My dad was uh, had got a new job at Life Investors Insurance Company in Cedar Rapids. And so we moved to Marion when I was five years old. And so I think I've been here long enough to consider myself an Iowa girl. I guess so. And you're a Linmar graduate, right? Graduated from Linmar High School in 1979 and went to UNI after that. Now, I was reading your bio. You're in about six different Hall of Fames. You have Linmar Hall of Fame, UNI Hall of Fame, the Redemption Hall of Fame. And so you're, you're a Hall of Famer in all these, all these schools, right? <laughs> I guess if you stick around long enough and you don't make too many enemies, you get to be in the uh, Hall of Fame. So you, after you were at UNI, I assume you played basketball? Mm-hmm. I did. I did. I was a basketball player there uh, from 79 to 83. And it sounded like you, did you immediately go into coaching at St. Ambrose right away? I, I didn't. I had one year. Uh, I was a business degree, a uh, marketing major uh, from UNI. And um, I actually worked at an American, at a marketing company in Waterloo for one year. And then my wonderful husband, David, decided to uh, propose to me. And uh, he was living in, in uh, Davenport at the time. And so I wrote to all three schools that were there, Mary Crest, I, um, St. Ambrose, uh, and um, Augustana to see if I could get a GA position at any of those three schools, and I didn't even get a rejection letter back. So <laughs> it was silence. It was silence. But then, um, fortunately for me, unfortunately for St. Ambrose, their coach uh, kind of got in a little um, was a little upset with the administration and decided to leave in August, which, as you know, this you know the school year starts in a week, and so they were pretty desperate, and I was willing and able. And you became the head coach at the start. I became the head coach and I was 24 years old. Yeah. I mean, I had, I had players that were just two years younger than I was. And uh, so it was kind of an interesting situation. But, you know, that wouldn't happen today. Uh, St. Ambrose is a great school, but NAIA school. And, you know, back then it's just, um, you know, I, it wasn't a, a very highly sought after job because uh, it was very low pay, long hours. And uh, so not a whole lot of candidates for that job. 
Well, that may be true, but I, I did pull up your record. Uh, you, you won right away. You, you always had winning seasons every year at St. Ambrose, right? Well, we did. Um, you know, and I was really fortunate because when we went there, we had just built a brand new arena. So I was playing in a brand new arena. Uh, and they had a good team before I got there. Uh, Ken Buckles was the coach before me, and he had done a marvelous job with the team. And so I still had some of those players with me. And um, it, back then, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of difference between the NAIA Division One, Division Two, II, Division Three. There wasn't a whole lot of difference. And so we played some Division One schools. In fact, when I was at St. Ambrose, we played against UNI, Iowa State, Bradley, Notre Dame, uh, those type of schools. And I was able to recruit really Division One type of players. Now, you might, I've got the record here. I mean, this is hard to believe. In your fourth year, you're 32 and five, it says here, okay? Then you went 36 and two. Then you went 34 and one. So you must have, uh, you, obviously you're getting, getting better every year. Well, we got to the final four, I believe our last, I can't remember now if it's two or three years. I'm not sure which one it was, um, but never, never won a championship, unfortunately. Uh, but it did give me the opportunity because in 19, um, at the conclusion of the 89-90 season, I was named the, the national coach of the year for the NAIA and it gave me an opportunity to interview for Division I schools. And uh, I wanted that opportunity. I interviewed at Marquette, and I interviewed at Drake University, and uh, fortunately ended up at Drake University and was there for 10 years. And that was a good run, too. And that's where you, um, is that where you discovered Jan Jensen in that, in that period of time? I, I went there uh, in 1990, and Jan was starting her senior year. So I got oh, to coach Jan Jensen. Okay. Uh, in her senior year, which uh, people don't realize sometimes, she led the United States in scoring. Uh, I believe it was 29.6 points a game, and she was also a Rhodes Scholar candidate. So yeah. she was an excellent student as well as an excellent basketball player. Um, you know, from there, she went on to play in Germany for a year professionally and uh, then came back a year after that and started her master's degree, and I hired her at that point. Yeah, no, she's a. Uh of course, the joke she made with me, she never passed the ball. She said, I never, I never passed it. I got the ball. I shot it. So <laughs> I think she was joking, but she obviously was a great player and a great scorer. She, she was a great player, just like she's a great coach. So then she came to the, the, the you've been with her for a long time. Yeah, I think this is our 30th year, and uh, Jenny Fitzgerald's also in that group. Jenny Fitzgerald uh, played at Drake University as well. She's a North Scott uh um, product from Eldridge, Iowa, uh, went to Drake, played there, and then went to Southern Illinois, got her master's degree. So she and Jan started at the same time at Drake. I didn't know that. And have worked with me for 30 years. Both of them came over here, obviously, 22 years ago, and very, very happy about that, uh, that the three of us have kind of been the three amigos together. I guess or so. Or the three stooges, I don't know, one or the other. But at Drake, I saw you got to the NCAA basketball tournament several times, and mm -hmm won some games, so you were you were competitive nationally at Drake. We were. In fact, in 1995, um, I think we ended up that year ranked 22nd in the country. Um, and, uh, you know, the job in Iowa became open at that point. Uh, Vivian Stringer left, and I actually interviewed for the job in 1995 and unfortunately didn't get it, but maybe maybe it was fortunate, you know, because it get, let me allowed me to go back to Drake University for five more years and really, I think, become a better coach than I was then. Um, also allowed me to recruit one of the best posts in America, Tammy Blackstone, who was recruited by everybody, and we were able to recruit her to Drake University and um, just allowed us to really have a good program there. We were state champs uh, two of my last three years, beating Iowa State and, and, and Iowa at that time. Amazing. Well, good. So that was a great, a great run, and then uh, you came to Iowa in 2000, is that right? 2000. Uh, came to Iowa with a three-year-old daughter and 
uh, being uh, about eight and a half months pregnant. So I, I really, when I see those <laughs> those pictures, it just sends shudders down my spine. Uh, yeah. Um, being eight and a half months pregnant is a little embarrassing. Well, good. And then even I saw in the first year you got the NCAA tournament, right? You, you had... You're rather shoot. We did. We, we won the Big Ten that year, and that was probably one of the most satisfying years that we had because they had won nine games total the year before. Uh, and mm-hmm. then we come into the Big Ten, and we finished second that year overall uh, to Purdue, mm-hmm. who was ranked in the top five in the country, and then won the Big Ten tournament, beating Purdue in the final. So um, that was a, just a really gratifying year um, because those girls mm-hmm. just really accepted us and, and, and changed the culture of that program and – just um, it was. I, I still am really, really close to those seniors that I only got to coach one year. Wow. Well, it's been a good run. You've been in the tournament lots of times. I don't know ten, twelve times looks like. And uh, yeah, so as mentioned before, we started that. Yeah, you know, as a as a fan of women's basketball, it seemed like for many years you had the the top three or four teams, which was mm-hmm. just almost super teams. Right. So when you got a, if you got in if you had a bad seed in the NCAA tournaments, you would get to play the number one seed sometimes. Yeah. Or it often. Was, it was really, I mean, Tennessee and Connecticut kind of just dominated women's basketball for so many years. And we are seeing more balance right now. And I think, um, you know, there's more, there, there's better players. There's more of them. There's more depth of players to go around right now. And I think TV exposure has also helped because, you know, those two teams are the only teams on TV. So they're the only two teams that kids grew up dreaming about being a part of. Uh, and now, you know, especially with the Big Ten Network, you know, like, for example, we're on national TV a lot, and it allows people to see different schools play, different styles, different coaching styles. And I think that has opened up people's eyes that there's more than just one, two, three schools out there, but there's a lot of different opportunities for schools. And I looked at the top 25 last week in a lot of new names in there, you know. Uh, it's, the times have changed, which makes, the, I think, as a fan, more exciting and the tournament more interesting as we get to, to March because it could be pretty wide open. Absolutely. Um, I, th- I think it is really wide open right now. And, you know, we saw that last year with Arizona uh, getting to the national championship game. So I think there are new names coming into the to women's basketball, and I think that's really good uh, for our sport because it does draw interest when it's not so predictable. Oh, I agree. No, it's very exciting. Well, let's talk about the uh, current um, the current team a little bit. Um, obviously, the, the big name last year was Caitlin Clark, who mm-hmm. came here from, from Des Moines. And... Um, as we were joking about, there is some some view that she's the uh, the highest ranked recruit ever to come to Iowa in, in basketball, men's or women's. Now she's gonna be the best player. We don't know yet, but mm-hmm. certainly she had a, a, a very successful first year. Right. And um, so, uh, tell us about re- recruiting her. I mean, uh, my understanding is she's uh, went to a, a Catholic uh, person, and her family are Catholic, and Notre Dame recruited her hard, but she came to because of you and Jan and. She wanted to be a Hawkeye, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, she grew up in this state not really having that that dream school. You know, some kids grow up, they want to be Hawkeyes or they want to be Cyclones or whatever. Uh, She didn't really have that dream. Her parents both went to Simpson College, and uh, that was not, you know, a a dream place for her to land. And so it did require a lot of recruiting, so to speak. Um, uh, We had Caitlin over here as a freshman. We offered to her as a freshman. We started recruiting her when she was in junior high. We recognized her then (laughs) that she was a special talent, but anybody could have. Uh, She was, you know, playing up into the high school levels as a seventh and eighth grader and was, you know, beating most of those girls. So it was obvious that she was an incredible talent. Um, But then her parents probably really 
um, kind of just uh, protected her from from recruiting because it can get kind of crazy. It can get pretty wild, and you know, kids' minds can get um, this like they can get like thinking that there's something mm-hmm. really, really, really special with all of us recruiters telling them how great they are all the time. So, mm-hmm. her parents protected her, and they didn't really let her visit us. Um, her freshman year, she visited us, and then we didn't have her here again until a football game in her junior year. Uh, she never saw us play basketball again live uh, until she committed to us. And so that wasn't unusual, though. That was the case it was for everybody. They took her around to some unofficials, um, different places, Notre Dame, Texas, Oregon, yeah. Oregon State. Um, but um, I, I think she's just an Iowa girl, and I think mm-hmm. she's a family person. And I really don't think she wanted to go that far away from home. So then it really got down to us and Iowa State, quite honestly, and I think we did a good job recruiting her. I think we sold her on the fact that not only can you stay in Iowa and everybody knows you here, but you can help us accomplish something that hasn't been accomplished in a long time, and that is go to a Final Four. So we sold her on that dream, and it it was a perfect time for her to come in here because Kathleen Doyle, who was the reigning Big Ten Player of the Year, was leaving our program um, after being drafted in the WNBA, and so Caitlin kind of had the door open for her to come in as a freshman and start as a point guard, which is kind of an unusual thing to start as a point guard freshman, but the door was wide open for her, and she saw that, and she knew she could take advantage of it. Um, and uh, we made a lot of trips over to Dowling. Uh, Jan Jensen did a lot of uh, a lot of drives down uh, Interstate 80 at very early in the morning because their their open gyms were at 6:30 in the morning. That means you leave Iowa City at 4:30 in the morning to get to those open gyms. And she did that quite a few times. Well, good. Well, the interesting about her, I don't know her well. I met her at the um, the golf outing this summer. Her and some of her teammates and. I don't know. She seems pretty normal. I mean, for someone who could be, you know, she had been the you know, highest scoring player right. in the country. This right. amazing freshman year. I anticipated a different person, and she was so mm. friendly and kind. And, you're, and the, there were four or five of them who came to our, where we were at, and they all seemed to be friends. And there was no, I kept waiting for this sort of difference. <laughs> and she wasn't, she was just no. one of them. She, she really <laughs> is. I mean, and she's a goof. I mean, she really is goofy. She's fun. She's, um, kind of obnoxious at times. I mean, she's not like, she doesn't think she's too cool by any, by any means. And she's just a great, great human being and a great ambassador. It's like how you want your women's basketball players to be, you know, wanting to sign autographs for kids and talk to everybody and just be this great role model. And that's what we want with our women at, at the university of Iowa. But yeah, she was coming off a tremendous year being not only the leading scorer, you know, top an all American top 10 players in the country. um, But she also, was named Dawn Staley, who was our Olympic gold medal coach this summer, named her the guard of the year last year and first freshman to ever receive that award. So, um, you know, there's there's a lot of pressure on Caitlin coming into this season, being a preseason All-American, top five players in the country, uh, being the preseason All-Big Ten player of the year. And she's only a sophomore. I mean, she's only 19 years old. Right. So it's a lot of weight for her to ha- carry on her shoulders. And I, I kind of feel bad for her at sometimes because you just want her to be a kid and just play the game she loves. Right. No, I, I'm, I understand. And last year, my memory of the season last year, the team was playing well, and about mid-season, I thought, well, this is a pretty good team, and then it seemed to accelerate. I mean, the, and uh, I guess is that partly Kayla, the whole team just sort of, they um, they found their groove, and by the end of the year, you were playing great basketball. Yeah, you know, I, I think that's pretty characteristic of our teams. I think that we run an offense that is, uh, it's designed on reads and knowing the game of basketball, and it takes a little bit longer to pick up 
than if you were a programmed robot and you just ran, you know, passed here, screened here, came off. I, I don't like those kind of plays. We have a couple plays, set plays, but mostly we run um, an open offense where the players are reading what the defense is doing and reacting to that. So um, it's based a lot on floor spacing, what the defense is giving you and taking advantage of that. And it takes a long time to understand the system. But I always feel like it's just after Christmas where kind of the younger, the younger people, the, the light bulb goes off and they start understanding what is expected of them and, and how it, just the timing and the reads and things, it, it takes a little bit to get there. And right now, we're still this year trying to get there. Of course, you lost, you had the, the COVID issue, so you lost, I, mean, I guess, I was watching the... Um, that uh, your game against who did you play out east? But they uh, you, uh, you uh, Duke Duke yeah you were they uh, the Syrian TV was you hadn't practiced at all till the Tuesday mm -hmm. you had to leave on Wednesday right so you didn't yep. play or practice for two weeks it sounded like yeah it was 17 days we had two full practices and within 17 days with the whole team and 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 everybody there so. You know, I tried to explain to my team that, listen, if a symphony is practicing every single day and getting ready for this big production and they all of a sudden take 17 days and only have two, two practices where they're all together, they're not going to sound so good on day three. So, I mean, it's the same thing with a basketball team. It's all about timing and it's, it's all about, you know, that flow. And if you, you upset that, you know, you, you take a step backwards. And, we, and we've taken a step backwards. There's no doubt. Um, I think people are still trying to get their legs underneath them again um, from the COVID situation that we had. Uh, but certainly, you know, missing those three day, those three games that we were going to have, Drake, USC, and Seton Hall, those were three growing opportunities for us that we missed out on. And then there was all those practices and games that we missed out and that we would have been improving at. So sure. we're trying to, I think um, – you know, I'm feeling good about things now, you yeah. know, moving forward. But it's like we want to play. And now between Iowa State and our UCF game, we had another 10 days off. And then we play two games in three days. And then we have another Christmas break. But now we're settling into Big Ten play after Christmas. And so um, that's going to be a good thing for us. I guess the key is to be playing well near the end of the season. Good enough to get in the that's tournament right. and then take your chances. Because this team is is talented. I mean, I, I'm not an mm -hmm. expert at this, but you've got – Lots of different players. I mean, Monica is a, a great post player. And yes. The starting five are good, and your bench looks strong. There's, mm -hmm. I don't know, there's about 10, at least 10 girls can play yeah. easily. I mean, and they all, I assume, can get better as you go. Yeah, I mean, I feel really good about our team. We have Monica Sanano, who led the United States in field goal percentage shooting last year as a junior post. And um, so, you know, she shot 67% from the field, which is just unbelievable. Um, so she's a really a walking bucket. And I think, you know, Caitlin's favorite target to hit as far as, you know, Caitlin led the country in assists last year. We think, you know, you talk about her points all the time. We think she's just a shooter. She also led the country in assists per game. So uh, pretty un unbelievable statistic. And uh, Monica was probably her favorite target. McKenna Warnock is our best rebounder. She's also a great three-point shooter. Uh, Gabby Marshall shot 47% from three-point range. Uh, Kate Martin returns. She's our, one of our captains and probably one of the best leaders I've ever been around. She's an unbelievable teammate and leader. Uh, Kylie Fierbach, you know, transferred from Iowa State, and she gives us depth at the guard position. But we did lose a post player. We lost two players to ACLs in our first 20 days of practice this wow. year. Uh, Sharon Goodman was our backup post who shot 55% from the field, and she, she tore ACL in practice number one of the year. Wow. And then uh, 19 days later, Shatia Wettering uh, tore her ACL. So losing those two women hurt, especially our depth inside. Sure. But you've got a freshman, Langano, and uh, – 
post, right? We do have a freshman post. Addie O'Grady comes uh, from the Denver, Colorado area at six foot four. Um, she's the tallest woman on our roster, um, and she's she's getting better all the time. And so it's exciting to see her growth. And you know, she needs to be like what Monica was when Megan Gustafson was here. When Megan was the National Player of the Year her senior year, Monica was a freshman and she was a sponge. She was just trying to learn as much as she could from this post player that was the best in the country. And so now it's the same type of situation and that Addie just has to learn so much this year from Monica and Monica's being a great teacher and, and we just hope that Addie's picking up on it just like Monica did. No, I'm, my impression Addie's getting better and with local Logan, Logan Cook, Cook is, uh, yes. is playing well, playing She's better. playing at the four and the five yeah. position for us and, and seeing the best minutes of her career as a Hawkeye as well. Of course, people remember Marv is, uh, is, her, is her father, so it's a local girl and obviously yeah. has lots of ability. Yeah, absolutely. Great athlete, great size, moves well, um, just a, a wonderful human being as well. So we're thrilled that Logan came, stayed in this community. That's great. That's great. Well, let's talk about yourself a little bit more now. Um, I know David, your husband, a little bit. Uh, I think David was a banker once. I think he may have worked once at West Bank way back in the old days. He did. When we were in Des Moines, Iowa, he worked at West Bank. Um, And so we are very familiar with the banking uh, industry. And, um, yeah, he he was a banker until um, uh, 1989. And at that point, we had our daughter. um, We had our daughter in, in I'm sorry, 97. 97, we had our daughter. And for a couple of years, we had a nanny. And then after that, um, my career was going well and, and Dave's career was going well. But we also felt like we needed to be home with our children. Sure. And so Dave um, offered, and, and I am so thankful for that because we have three children that are you know, pretty good kids, I think. I'm, I'm proud of all three of them. But I really give credit to Dave because it was really hard, especially in that time you know, over 20 years ago for a guy to give up his career and to decide he's going to stay home with the kids. It was not, not very common. Sure. And, um, and, and I know it was tough on him. It was really hard. And so I'm, I'm really grateful that I just don't think I would have been as successful if it wasn't for him manning that front. Yeah. And then he became an author. He wrote a book, I know. A, yeah, yeah. A novel, the, right? great, the Great Gamble. Uh, Dave uh, published a book mm-hmm. and he's working on his second book, but um, there is some film interest right now, so we're excited about that. And uh, I would say if you're looking for a good book for a Christmas Just, present yeah. or a New Year's present or whatever, uh, The Great Gamble, out on the out on the shelves. It's on Amazon, too. I looked yeah. at myself last yes. night. No, that's yeah. my friends at Ritz. That's, that's what's good. That's exciting. So um, as far as what do you do in your spare time if you have any, I assume you, you guys travel some and uh, you have hobbies. I mean, it's hard to be when you're coaching full time, but yeah. tell us about that, that whole story. Yeah, you know, well, we have three kids, and so life revolved around basketball and our three kids. And, I mean, and that was the, I mean, that was it, right? You know, your kids are in activities. Uh, Hannah was in sports, and David was in sports. My daughter Emma was in golf and cross country, but she also was a, a great theater. Uh, she she was a, uh, has a great voice. In fact, she sang the national anthem a couple times at our women's basketball games, and. Um, so, I mean, really, we were revolved our life around their activities and trying to be good parents. And But we do love to travel, and my kids love to travel. Um, and so we, we one of my goals is to go someplace every year that I've never been. And I, I just think that we have so many wonderful things to see. I'm not a person that wants to go back to the same place over and over and over again. But we have been to Kiwa Island a lot, and it is one of our favorites as, as a family uh, to go to Kiwa Island. Um, but... 
yeah, we we love to travel and we've we've been all over this world because of basketball. We're right. very fortunate. We've been I mean, when I coached the Pan Am team, we were in Toronto, Canada for a long time. We've taken the team over to Paris and to Greece and to Spain and to Italy a couple times and so the t- the the kids have always gotten to go with us and it's really given them a love of traveling. Okay, that sounds very exciting. So as far as um uh, as your main goal, you coach and you travel and spend time with your children, right? <laughs> yeah, I like to read um, I, and I like to cook too. Um, I don't have as much time to cook as I would like to, but to me, if, if, if I have like, you know, that summer time a little bit, a little calmer when I'm not out recruiting, to be able to plan a menu and have people over and enjoy a, a great meal and a sure. good bottle of wine. <laughs> well, good. Uh, well, tell me about... Um, uh, as far as the coaching, was there anybody you sort of was a role model or you, as you developed your career, did you, did you seek advice from others? What, how did you develop your philosophy and yeah. your approach? Yeah, you know, Vivian Stringer was a big part of my, um, just a, a mentor. Uh, when I was at St. Ambrose in the 80s, Vivian was here and I used to come over and work her camps and talk to her as much as I could. And I'd come over and watch her practice. Um, uh, I got films of her practices so I could watch them. Uh, there were videotapes back then, uh, and watch them, uh, you know, on my free time. So Vivian was a big uh, part of um, just kind of like what I wanted to be as as a coach. Now we have different styles, definitely. I'm more of an offensive coach. She's more of a defensive coach. Um, back then, there was all these Nike clinics all over the country, and my husband and I joke about how many Nike clinics. That was our weekend away, going to a Nike clinic to watch <laughs> all these you know, coaches kind of um, tell their philosophy. Bought a lot of books. I mean, I really learned on the job quite a bit, um, but if there was one coach, it would be Vivian Stringer. Huh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me ask you about this new thing that gets called name, image, <laughs> and likeness. And as I understand it, uh, players can... And if you know they can get paid for endorsing stuff or signing right. autographs, which I sort of actually sort of support the concept, uh, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but um, how has that been handled at Iowa? And you know, so with with Caitlin, I mean, it's you know, yeah. how's that how's that work? Yeah, I mean, Caitlin signed a deal with High V. Um, she's going to be a corporate sponsor for them, and I think there'll be a lot more opportunities. There has been a lot more opportunities, but she's being very very selective about what she wants to do. Um, you know, it's 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 a situation where these kids now can use their name, image, and likeness in order to run their own camp and get paid, or have a T-shirt, or endorse a company, or or be a social um, media type of person for different organizations and make money from it. Um, you know, I think there's nothing wrong with that. Why shouldn't they? Every other person around America gets to do that. So why shouldn't athletes be able to do that? when they're in college. Um, but managing it can be tough. Um, first of all, it puts a little more pressure on those kids that now they have time commitments. And so I think, you know, you have to manage it a little bit. They can't be coming, running around all over the, 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 the town doing advertisements and doing all this sort of thing and forgetting about school and their basketball, which is why people want to hear from them anyway. So they better, right. you know, graduate and they better be a good basketball player still or forget it. Nobody wants your name, image, and likeness if you aren't doing those things well. So they have to keep their priorities straight. Um, but I, I do think it's a good thing. Um, but I, I think it's it's going to be tough to monitor because of major boosters, and you see it right now, at different football programs are going to be um, offering – money to the offensive line if they are academically eligible i don't you know 
is that real? Uh, you know, I just yeah. think that's a little bit uh, too much. I, I, I don't know that we are going to be able to manage that. And I think it's going to become a recruiting war on who can get the best NIL deals for their players. And as a coach, I didn't sign up to be an agent, a talent agent. I signed up to coach this game. So No, I, it's a can of worms. I, I, I agree yes. with that 100%. Yeah. Yeah. And I think our friends at Midwest One Bank are our competitor. They, they, they've helped out. out some I think there's a couple of our them. players that yeah. have, yeah. No, that, I, I don't know. It yeah. all goes back to I listen to Dan Patrick's sports show on the radio yeah. sometimes. Yeah. He was talking about, you know, he was supporting a little bit. He said, it doesn't make sense to me if some of these guys, they get an autograph some famous player, and the player can't get paid. Mm-hmm. But I can take the autograph and sell it and make $500. There's a disconnect there somewhere. So the problem is in football, it's, it's, there's a, it's out of control in football. That, that's, right. a whole, that's a whole different world right. out there. But right. uh, I, I'm not sure what the solution is, but it just seems like uh, – yeah, the athletes deserve something. Absolutely. I, I do think, and this is a great time to be an athlete. I mean, I think when I went through and, you know, what it was like, you know, they always say, you know, you walk up the hill both ways, mm-hmm. right? But um, it's just so different right now in what we're doing for our student athletes. I think at Iowa, mm-hmm. we do an amazing job as far as nutritionists mm-hmm. and tutors and academic coaches and, you know, the, the sports, the, nutri- mm-hmm. the, the, medica- the medicine that they get, the, the athletic training that they get. Um, the, the weight training that they get now, it, it's absolutely unbelievable. Even in the manner we, the travel is so good. I mean, I remember putting four people in a room when I was playing, you know, it's just, it's different now. And they get the cost of attendance uh, every month as well. Um, so they do have some spending money from that. Um, it's a lot different and it, that's good. That's yeah, a good thing. I agree. That's a good thing. I, so. I now let's talk briefly about uh, women's basketball. And last year, the NCAA, there was that, um, some feeling that the uh, NCAA didn't treat the men's tournament as same mm-hmm. as a women's tournament, and that seems surprising when I heard that. But that was a little embarrassing. The NCAA, right? That that was it wasn't it wasn't equal. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't even close, right? Is it, that, it has that been resolved even, now? It hasn't <laughs> even been close, and it's still being worked on right now. But now they've given us the baby step of we can use the term March Madness. Um, women's basketball couldn't even use the term March Madness. It was that was only for men's. That's hard um, to believe. I mean, it, I never knew that. <laughs> it's it's silly. It's silly when you think about it. But what happened in the COVID year is you had, I mean, direct tournaments that were side by side that anybody could compare. And all of a sudden, these discrepancies were very apparent um, because they were, I mean, you could just, you could see it right there. And social media now allows us to show what's going on. And there was some brave women that took advantage of that social media and really exposed the NCAA as the injustices they were doing. And it, it has made a big difference. It has made a big difference. So these women, these college women really have done a, a great job of, and it's still going on. I mean, we're still, right now we're going to go though, and this has been something I've wanted for years. You know, the, the women's tournament has 64 teams. The men's tournament has 68. Why should there be a discrepancy in that tournament? Doesn't make sense. We're going to go to 68 now. So oh, this year, I'm very happy about that. Finally, we're going to go to 68. I think I've been fighting that battle for about 15 years. <laughs> well, good. Well, let's talk about the uh, Big Ten Conference this season. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, uh, it seems a little more balanced, maybe. Uh, Maryland's always good. Indiana's good. Now, what, what, how do you see it yeah. sorting out right now in the conference? What's, what's the expectations of the, yeah. the top tier? I mean, uh, Maryland is incredible. Maryland is a Final Four contender. 
Um, I don't know where the new rankings have them, like fourth, fifth. I don't know. They've been as high as number two in the country. But they are an extremely good basketball team. And we will be hosting them in Carver-Hawkeye Arena on a Monday night. That game will be on ESPN. So it's going to be a great opportunity for Hawk fans to come see uh, a terrific, one of the best nation's best here right in our, in our own arena. And then uh, Indiana, uh, also a top 10 team. Uh, Michigan. Uh, very, very good basketball team. So we've, we've just got a – it's a really good league that we have. And um, with most people coming back from last year, getting that COVID year, getting that extra year uh, of eligibility, yeah. it's made teams even stronger because of the experience level. Well, you know, we've been to – we bought season tickets this year, been to the games. My wife's become a big fan. And, and one thing about the games, they're, they're, they're fun. It's a, it's a faster pace than the men's game, frankly. Mm-hmm. A little more, I'd call it true basketball. Uh, not as many TV timeouts. Mm-hmm. Uh, the whole thing, it's a, and the whole environment is such a positive deal. I would encourage people to come, just come once yeah, and thanks, check it Tom. out. I mean, I'm serious. It really is, a, you know, it's, there, there, there's a connection between those players and those fans. Those, the fans are there, but those fans are committed. There are people, they are, they are believers, you know? They are believers, and there is that connection. That's, I think, a difference between men's basketball and women's basketball. The women's basketball embraces the crowd. They love that they're there. They are so appreciative of having them there. And and so it just there is a stronger connection, I think, between the fans and the players in women's basketball. John Wooden said that women's basketball was played the way the game was supposed to be played, uh, with passing and cutting and, you know, um, really good ex- execution. And so – I think it is the purest form of basketball uh, in women's basketball. And, um, you know, I, I think it's such a fun game. And I always tell people, if you haven't been to a game in a long time, come back. Come back and watch it. It's not the game that was being played 20, 25 right. years ago. It is very up-tempo. I mean, we were the second highest scoring team in the country last year at 81 points a game. We get up and down the floor and run, and we shoot the three ball really well, which is really exciting. No, it, it is the great, great shooters, and Caitlin's worth the price. She's she's Absolutely. not perfect, you know. She does make turnovers. People understand. Yep. She does make a few errors, but sure. she's the player. She's very competitive. You oh can yeah. Tell. She you can tell. Oh yeah. She wants to win at anything. I mean, you, if we're playing <laughs> ping pong, she wants to win. Yeah. I mean, she is a, a highly competitive individual, but that part of that mm-hmm. is what makes her really, really great. And the thing about this year, if people come out, this team. Has has the potential to get the final four. That's gonna be hard. I understand mm-hmm. that, but there's the mix of old and young and talent and depth. That you got shooters. I mean, you, you've got it's all sort of floating around there. If you can put you know put it together, we do. We have all the pieces. Mm-hmm. I think, um, and 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 we have a little more experience than we did last year. So I think we definitely have all the pieces. And the one thing that's different, and I still don't agree with this, between men's and women's basketball, men get to play their national tournament on neutral courts. Women don't get to play on the new, on the on uh, the national tournament until the Sweet 16 becomes a neutral court. Last year we played on neutral courts all the time because we were in the bubble. So what that means is if we're a top 16 seed at the end of the year, we will host the first two rounds in Carver Hawkeye Arena this right. year. Uh, right. The last time we did that, um, we had we broke an NCAA record for most attendance ever at a women's basketball first and second round. We had over 23,000 people in those two days in Carver-Hawkeye Arena. So I anticipate that we're going to have, if we can get to be a top 16 site and host again, that we will have an unbelievable atmosphere in Carver-Hawkeye Arena. And that propels you to that sweet 16, and from there you're playing on neutral courts. Yeah. No, no, it's no, it's exciting. This is going to be an interesting year, and I'm, I'm looking forward to the game this week. So it's, um, it's good. 
Well, is there anything else you've told, you've coached some great players? I, mean, I thought I don't have the whole list, but just uh, you know, it goes way back. I mean, Ali Distroff or uh, Santa Logic. Uh, Megan Gustafson was Megan player Gups, national yep. player of the year. Kathleen Doyle. Yep. Um, and, and you know, Lindsay those, Meter. There's Lindsay like local Meter, girls, a local yeah. girl from Solon. Yeah. And, and and you know, it's it's so fun to see what they do when they leave Iowa too. Yeah. I mean, that you know, part of my job is obviously to win games, and if I don't win games, I lose my job, and I understand that. <laughs> Uh, but another part, and that part that's really important is I graduate my students. And my, my women are taking really tough majors. They're not, I mean, we have, right now we have engineering, uh, we have pre-law, we have uh, dental, we have medical. Um, we have some really tough majors uh, within our, our program. And Lindsay Meter, when you brought up her name, remind me, because she's an endodontist now in West Des Moines, has two cute little girls. Um, but here's a, an Iowa, you know, a... a player for our program that went on and just did great things, played for the Minnesota Lynx for one year in the WNBA, and then uh, came back here, went to dental school and got her specialty. And she's just one of the many success stories of the women that leave our program that just go on and do really great things. Well, there's a story of Catherine Reynolds who played for you. Mm -hmm. Then she uh, graduated early. And when she was on the team, she was in law school. She was. Uh, she <laughs> graduated story. in three years. Uh, her fourth year, she was a first-year law student. Um, and then she had a medical hardship. So her fifth year uh, that she was on our team, she was also in, in her second year of law school. Uh, and then her graduated, obviously, from law school and um, was taking her bar exam. And uh, I had a position open up as a director of operations. And I called her up. I said, Catherine, your mom and dad are going to kill me. <laughs> but how would you like to be, come back and get into basketball coaching and be a basketball director of ops? And she said, oh, I'd love it. And she had a job lined up uh, as an agent uh, in Cincinnati, where she was from. Um, but she's still with our program now and really, really um, proud of what she's doing. She's our player development coach right now and, and just does a great job. Yeah, well, that's true. You go to law school and still play basketball at Iowa. That's, that's right. That's pretty impressive. Yes, it is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good. Is there anything else we've missed here? Anything you want to um, tell um, our podcast fans? Or? No, you know, I just appreciate the, the, being the women's coach at the University of Iowa is really special. And, uh, you know, when I, when I came here in 2000, I thought I had five years. I signed a five-year contract after Grant uh, gave me a five-year contract, and I thought I was the luckiest person alive to be able to be here for five years. And, you know, here we are starting our 22nd year, and I am still as excited to be an Iowa Hawkeye in my 22nd year as I was in year one. And part of that is because yeah. of the amazing fan support that we get in Carver Hawkeye Arena, the administrative support, but mostly just, yeah. um, you know, the type of young women that we're able to draw to this great university yeah. is really, really fun. And, and I appreciate you, Tom, and, and talking today and uh, appreciate you with the podcast. And, and obviously you're a season ticket women's basketball yeah. holder. And I people, love that. So thank you. Come. Well, great. Well, thanks a lot, and um, go Hawks. Go Hawks. Tom's New Best Friend is brought to you by West Bank. This Corridor Business Journal podcast is produced by Joe Coffey of Coffee Grande Studios. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter at CB Journal.